Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Roy Green Show podcast. We're going to be talking about the vaxxed versus unvaxxed issue. And uh, we will involve our first guests. They're not guests. Well, they are. But they're friends. Been friends for many years. Catherine Swift. uh, At Working CDNS, Working Canadians. Linda Leatherdale at L. Leatherdale, Vice President of Cambria, Canada. And Michelle Simpson, former Liberal Member of Parliament and uh, former seatmate to Justin Trudeau. So they are the beauties. I'm the beast. And please, hey, uh, Catherine, would you please, would you please tell people that I'm, that I'm not being sexist when I say that? Oh, I just want to refer to you all as guys. That <laughs> always gets somebody, <laughs> always gets somebody annoyed. <laughs> A bonjour, Roy. <laughs> bonjour, Catherine. Each time I say beauties and the beast, I get an email from someone saying, that's sexist. Stop it. Yeah. And we who, love it. And who will we not let it. me stop it, right? Keep who, it up. No, we won't. No, we want it. I know. So there you go. <laughs> Well, it's uh, great to have you with us, and let's get started on a couple of things here. I want to talk to you about the vaxxed versus unvaxxed issue, but let's first of all talk about what's happening in the world of politics. We know we have a federal election coming up shortly. The prime minister will call an election, and yesterday, Ipsos Public Affairs for Global News uh, published uh, a um, uh, poll that was done on on uh, how Canadians are feeling now about the election. And it looks like the liberals are slipping out of majority government territory. And um, I said to Mr. Bricker yesterday, if there were a strong turnout of the base of the conservatives and a significant percentage of Canadians didn't vote, is there the possibility of a minority O'Toole government? And he said anything could happen. So let's ask you what you think is going to be happening and let me ask the former member of parliament and seatmate to justin trudeau uh michelle how do you see this developing when do you expect mr trudeau to call the election and how do you think it's going to turn out well my i don't have a crystal ball but uh, i suspect that it's going to uh that will be dropped before the middle of august so in a matter of two three weeks something like that um I think at the time the decision was made that they were going to pull the trigger, things were a lot rosier for them. But I do think that Canadians are absolutely, like, they're, they're tired, physically and mentally tired. The pandemic has worn them out, and they don't see the, the reason, any reason, to call an election. And uh, I do think, though, I, I don't know about O'Toole, uh, becoming minority leader, but I I really suspect that uh, it this could all be for naught that w- the Liberals will form the government, but it'll still be a minority. Yeah, that could very well be the case. Uh, Linda Leatherdale, your thoughts on uh, 
on on this, on, on what we're facing, and how do you think it may turn out? Well, you know what? My first question is, Roy, why? Why do we need an election right now? I mean, you know, the pandemic certainly has been true to out there front and center and, you know, obviously raised its popularity and then it fell and whatever. But $502 million is what this election is going to cost us. And if we come out with the same result, a minority um, liberal government, and I like the idea of <laughs> conservatives, let me tell you. And I'm going to tell you, and I'll say this again, Roy, if we had Catherine Swift leading the conservatives, it would be a conservative government. Well, but no on that note. That. We know all, we all know that. We know that, Linda. <laughs> We've been trying to convince her forever. Exactly. So, but 26% so, of Canadians don't want to have this election. Or sorry, only 26% do. Yeah. 37 say no. And the others... I don't know. Their their head is buried in the sand because there's so many other things going on right now. Roy. But it is coming. And Catherine, if it is a minority liberal government, it'll be the ascension of Mark Carney to the leadership of the party. Well, it could well be. Um, I've always believed that Trudeau was setting himself up for some international role in his post-political uh, or Canadian political, I guess, uh, world. Um, and uh, yeah, I think if he does, uh, if there is another minority, which is looking like a very probable scenario, um, then that, I don't know, that he'll hang around, frankly. Uh, and we know we know why, if there is an election, and it does look like there's going to be one, we know why, and that's one guy's vanity project. It's This is Justin Trudeau's vanity project. He wants a majority. As Linda said, there are polls showing a majority of Canadians do not want an election right now. Hardly surprising, given the state of affairs. And let's not forget, too, Trudeau has to do it soon, or not at all, really, or not for quite a while, because... A lot of these uh, various income supports and so on are going to die in September. Yet a, a lot of the things that they're hoping, bribing people with their own tax dollars, that's going to be ending quite soon. And, mm-hmm. and frankly, it should, because we have spent way more than other countries and have, have not had better results uh, in our economy. In fact, we've had worse results than a number of other countries. Okay, so this is from so, the shadow leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are you guys are trying hard. <laughs> if I was going to tilt at that windmill, I would have done it a long time ago. <laughs> I just want to add this: that Daryl Bricker said yesterday that the pandemic issue. Now, the pandemic is in most people's minds that we've had enough. We don't want to deal with this anymore. We have a sense that we're coming out of the uh, the tunnel and we we're going to get on with our lives. And so the issues that predate the pandemic are the issues that are now front and center in the minds of Canadian voters. And if you force voters to the polls, well, you know that old cliche, be careful what you wish for. Well, snap elections have often snapped right back and punished the people that call them. Yep, so yeah. uh, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of uncertainty out there, and I think Trudeau's going to be having uh, many uh, many considerations in the next few weeks. All right. So are you all three suggesting it's going to be another minority liberal government? I believe so. I do. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the most likely. The Angus Reid uh, poll uh, organization had a national poll: fifty-three percent of vaccinated one dose at least, say they are likely to spend more time around vaccinated than non-vaxxed people. 
even after they themselves are fully vaxxed and have built up immunity. More than 50% who've been vaxxed at least once say it's perfectly all right to ask about another person's vaccination status. Meanwhile, 75% of unvaxxed people say it's inappropriate to ask another person if she or he has been vaccinated. 67% of Canadians say the support to, they support vaccine passports for large events in their provinces. What else do we have here? Ontario Science Table suggests that vaccine certificates could speed up reopening of the provinces and may incentivize more people to get vaccinated. In France, President Macron, supported by a majority of the French government, have decided that health workers must be vaccinated by the 15th of September. And by the 1st of August, the people of France must either be vaxxed or present a negative COVID test if they wish to enter large shopping malls, theaters, hospitals, restaurants, bars, and many other public establishments. There have been protests across France, but 3.7 million people almost immediately lined up to be vaccinated. So let's ask our beauties, Catherine Swift, Linda Leatherdale, Michelle Simpson, for their thoughts on this whole issue of vaxxed versus unvaxxed. Let's, 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 let's ask you this question. Do you think it's appropriate? Do you think it's a good idea for everyone to have uh, some kind of vaccination? I don't want to use the word passport, but ID, and show it when required to get into public and private venues. Linda, I'll start with you. My God, it's the great divide on this question, Roy. You know, I think the beauties would agree. We all believe in privacy rights, et cetera. But come on, this this pandemic has changed our world, turned it upside down. And this variant, I mean, we're seeing the numbers rise in the United States, certainly in England, and we only have to look at India to see how terrible it is. I think that, yes, we have a right to ask whether or not they answer. I don't know, but it's interesting that you say Eric Clapton will not do an event uh, if passports are required. And yet you've got Bruce Springsteen in on Broadway saying he's not going to perform unless they have proof. So it's a tough question, Roy, but I believe that our safety and the safety of all humans is important here. Okay. So I would say, yeah, I think you have a right to ask. Catherine, uh, Susan sends an email. Hi, Roy. In Manitoba, our vaccination card is the size of a credit card, and I will happily show my card. It's not about privacy. It's about working to get this virus under control. What do you say, Catherine? Oh, well, I, I think that some version of vaccination proof, however you want to define it, is coming no matter what. Uh, and what I find amazing is we should be doing this as a country. Trudeau has said he's going to leave the hot potato because this is a very contentious issue. He's going to leave the hot potato to the provinces, which is horribly cowardly. This should be a national issue. We don't need different rules in different provinces and so on. So I think, you know, everybody's trying to pass the hot potato to somebody else. But I think we're going to end up by default with some kind of thing. And I mean, I'm I'm, I'm double vaxxed. Uh, my whole family is at this point. My my youngest son just got his second one recently. And I've got a certificate from the Ontario government, which I suspect most citizens do that have been vaccinated. I mean, I got it online. But, you know, why is that not that? And that's going to be proof if I ever should need to show it. Okay. So I think it's happening by default, no matter what people say. And businesses are making rules as well they should. Uh, employers, employees, and so on. So whatever your views on this, I think it's happening no matter what. And that's just the reality. Michelle, Jim sends an email uh, from British Columbia. I have no problem with a vaccine passport as long as it's paper. I don't want to be handing my phone over when it's unlocked. <laughs> well, wow. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, I, I certainly might object to that, too. 
I do believe, however, that we do have to have some form of proof that, you know, worldwide, anyone that wants to travel, it's, it's going to be required in other countries. And I do agree with Catherine on the one thing that it is cowardly on, on Justin's part. The prime minister is being cowardly. Yeah. So, so they in in France they have it as mandatory as of the first of August. If you want to get into most private or public venues, if you want to get into a large shopping center, for example, you have to be able to provide proof of vaccination or a negative test. That's the law. Italy has followed suit. Italy on Thursday, this past Thursday, passed similar legislation. Theirs goes into effect on August the 6th. And the UK is going to follow suit as well. So this is going to be an international movement. And Catherine, it's going to be national. There's no other way to do it. You're absolutely correct. Well, that's the problem. I I can just see, you know, if you leave it to provinces and and passports or or, or the concept is something that is is in the national domain anyway. Mm -hmm. So it makes no sense for Trudeau to kind to try to pass the buck here, except that he's a wimp. Is that your dog that's opinion pining in the background? (laughs) Sorry about that. I'm I'm at the cottage and my family picked the worst time to arrive. My dog is looking out the window in my bedroom, (laughs) looking at them and barking her head off. So I'm very sorry. No, that's okay. (laughs) Dogs get a pass. On this show, dogs always get it. I'm muting myself, though, to try to reduce it. Uh, Marcia sent this. I'm proud to be double vaccinated and will most willingly show a vaccination certificate for whatever vaccination is necessary moving forward. Just another way of showing I'm willing to protect others by protecting myself. Just like adding a rabies tag or microchip tag on my dog's collar. Sign me up. So, all right. So you're all in agreement then? Yes. We're all in agreement. Because yep. I, I normally don't hear silence when you're on. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep my dog under control. <laughs> all right. So so we have. You're, you're saying there's going to be likely a liberal minority government if the election were held today. That's what you're predicting would, would happen. And do you think, though, let me ask you this. Do you think a majority of Canadians will eventually go along with uh, the vaccine passport? Because remember when they said in France... This is the law. If you want to get into these establishments, you'll have to have some sort of proof that you've been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, or a negative test, or you're not getting in. And within days, 3.7 million people in France got vaccinated. Wow. We, that we've is got amazing. a pretty good record in Canada, though. We, we, we're doing quite well. I mean, the U.S. has way more, uh, a much larger percentage. And, of course, it's causing some pretty serious problems in some parts of the country. Yeah. So I think we're on track to have a pretty, uh, now that we've finally got some a decent quantity of vaccines, uh, we're, we're on track to have a pretty high percentage. And I think the majority of Canadians aren't going to have an issue with this. But as Michelle said, it's very important how it's done. And like I say, I, I've already got this emailed, you know, thing that uh, I figure should be absolutely acceptable uh, for a... You got what? You've got an uh, emailed thing? Something from the Ministry don't, of Health. But you know let, what else? Don't let it's, the technical <laughs> terms overwhelm you now. In some other countries, they're getting counterfeit ones. That's going to be the next shoe to draw. Oh, my goodness. Once they're, once they're insisting okay, on them, you're going right. to have fake ones, too. All right, all right. Let me, let me just say this one time. You guys are going to get me into trouble. We wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't, Roy. I know. There was an Ipsos poll released, and it was done for Global News, and it was looking like Trudeau was cruising toward a majority government, but now apparently not, according to this poll. And uh, I spoke with Daryl Bricker, the president and CEO of Ipsos, 
And in part, here's what he said about uh, the liberals falling out of majority government territory as far as national voter support is concerned, at least today. The usual liberal strategy of marginalizing the NDP by scaring progressive voters about the potential for a conservative government, that's not really a strong strategy at the moment. If that happens, turnout is low, the conservative base is high, they're more likely to show up and vote, they tell us, uh, anything can happen. So that would happen, uh, that, that was actually the answer to a question I asked uh, Mr. Bricker about the possibility of the Conservatives maybe forming a minority government if sufficient Canadians don't vote and the Conservative uh, base turns out in large numbers. So Liberals are at 36% support, down two points, while the Conservatives have gained four points in the last month to reach 30 points, 30%. It generally takes around 40% of the uh, of the vote to form a majority government. That's where you get into majority government territory. So I wonder whether the Liberals being down 2% and the Conservatives being up 4% in the last month is more of a reflection of dissatisfaction, uh, lack of trust in the ethics of Justin Trudeau than a growth in the support of Aaron O'Toole. Now, Jagmeet Singh, who, as you know, I interviewed yesterday, uh, his NDP are at 20% support nationally, and they could turn out to be the real spoilers as far as the Liberals reaching a majority government is concerned. I, uh, I asked uh, Mr. Bricker about the uh, Canadian habit of not voting nationally. We don't vote nationally. We vote regionally. Here's what Daryl said about that. As you say, Canada is not about a national vote. It's regional voting that decides. Yeah, it's a series of regional campaigns. So the thing that I'll be watching over the next little while is do we see any movement in Quebec? Uh, are the Liberals able to get back into double-digit territory in the province of Ontario? And are they able to move into first place in British Columbia? If they can't do those three things very difficult for them to win a majority. Now, the bloc is strong in Quebec, and uh, the Green Party is at 3% nationally, so you can't totally ignore them. The bloc will have a significant role to play in the province of Quebec. And uh, as far as the other parties are concerned, like the People's Party, other parties down at 2%, roughly, national support. 20% of Canadians, according to the Ipsos poll, either will not vote or aren't sure yet who may receive their vote. Now, again, as I said, it's usually 40% of Canadians who don't vote. Our national turnout generally is around 60 to 62%, which is really terribly low. Uh, Mr. Bricker also told us yesterday that in Canada, it's, and I want to repeat this, not national voting numbers. It's about regional voting. And the Liberals should be looking to, he said, Quebec, Ontario, and British Columbia, where they don't have enough of a lead currently to reach a majority government. The Liberals have not been able to gap. This is what they wanted to do. This is what they counted on. They, were, they have not been able to gap the Conservative Party. And it is possible, let's just repeat this, it is possible that if, and these are big ifs, but if there is a strong turnout of the Conservative base and there is a low national voter turnout, that Mr. O'Toole, and this is going by today's public opinion, that Mr. O'Toole could form a minority government. So here's my take of what's going on. Canadians have had enough. They've been shocked by the flexible ethics displayed by Justin Trudeau and his Liberal Party. His treatment of Jody Wilson-Raybould and Selena Caesar-Chavan, both guests on this program in recent weeks, has been mean-spirited and petulant, driving them each out of the Liberal Party and out of politics. Trudeau, veterans want too much, remember? 
Don't say mankind, say people kind. People experience things differently, was his response when uh, he was reminded of a National Post reporter, female National Post reporter, not appreciating his behavior toward her. We don't exactly know what that behavior was. In his early years in power, so around 2015 into 2016, Mr. Trudeau delivered $10 million to Omar Khadr. Again, veterans, they wanted too much, more than the government could give. There is also the issue of SNC-Lavalin and his bullying of Jody Wilson-Raybould. And the Parliamentary Ethics Commissioner, remember this, convicted Trudeau of violating parliamentary ethics over his treatment of Jody Wilson-Raybould in this case. Also the mistreatment of Jane Philpott. There was Vice Admiral Mark Norman, and he was taken to court. Over what? We know that it has to do with the Admiral uh, arranging for the contract for converting a container ship into a military, into a naval ship, supply ship, brought it in on time and under budget. But it displeased the Liberal cabinet, and so Admiral Norman found himself, for a while, in very significant difficulty and very financially challenged. As his legal expenses were not covered by the federal government, but Mr. Trudeau and others in the government hired lawyers at taxpayer expense to cover their expenses, were they ever to be called, were there going to be a Mark Norman trial. But the trial never happened because the prosecutor, once the prosecutor saw what the government had, as far as supposed evidence is concerned, the prosecutor threw in the towel, essentially. So why, why is it that Canadians are questioning following Mr. Trudeau? Well, there's the wee charity scandal, the firing of Bill Morneau, his treatment of Grassy Narrows First Nations protester who interrupted a big money liberal fundraiser in Toronto, alerting to the fact that at Grassy Narrows, they've been living with unsafe drinking water for decades, and Trudeau's response was, thank you for your contribution. Because the protester had actually bought a ticket to get into this event to remind the Prime Minister of the difficulties and the challenges of drinking unsafe water at the First Nations community. There is a difficult series of ethical and behavioral issues that Mr. Trudeau should be facing when he calls the election. Now, his opponent, Aaron O'Toole, appears to most Canadians, by comparison, bland. And frankly, he isn't the best orator, but he's not carrying a load of baggage with him. I know there was the story about the $240,000 of party spending, uh, O'Toole's office spending as well, but it pales when compared to the unreported spending of billions of dollars by Trudeau's government. Remember our conversations with the parliamentary budget officer about this? So there's a, there's a tremendous amount of money at, at play here that is, has to be accounted for. Jagmeet Singh appears to be a nice guy, but again, the NDP policies and platform don't make, don't really connect with the majority of Canadian voters. So my evaluation is this. If an election were held today, there would likely be a minority liberal government propped up by Ontario and Quebec, and that would be the end of Justin Trudeau as party leader because the Liberal Party brain trust now has what they consider a true superstar in the wings, one Mark Carney, the past head of the Bank of Canada and the Bank of England. I would also not entirely dismiss the possibility of a conservative minority government. That's my view. Minority liberal government, if an election were to be called today, 
likely a minority liberal government if an election is called in the next couple of months, but not necessarily. Anything is possible at this time, particularly at the other end of the pandemic. What do you think is going to happen? What's your call? Let's go to your calls and find out how you think the upcoming federal election is going to turn out because we are going to have one and the election is going to be called within a matter of weeks. Rick is in Vancouver. Rick, thank you for the call, sir. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I hope I hope what's going to happen isn't going to be the Liberals. Um, I saw a quote, and I don't know where it came from. It said, where ego trumps justice, propaganda perverts truth, truth and we have an ethically corrupt leader. And that's exactly the problem we've got in Canada right now. We need to support our Constitution, our Charter of Rights, and support our police and get rid of the people that are running against everything, the, the left wing. The, uh, well, that's what elections are about, everything. right? That's, that's what elections are about. It's people having the right to make a decision. And there really should be a distinction between political parties. And quite often there isn't enough of a distinction because they do a lot of polling. And their polling is all about how do we win, not, not what's best for the country. How do we win? Roy, how do we beat Roy, the other guys? Roy, I don't agree with a lot of that anymore because of Cambridge Analytica and Jagmeet Singh is the poster boy of one of the... No, but that's what they do. Rick, that's what they do. They, they spend a huge amount of no, money he, he on polling. He bought the votes. He bought the vote, the NDP votes. The same as the Green Party bought the... Yeah, the well, Rick, Rick how, do you, how do you think it's going to turn out? Right now? Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to be a, at least a minority party again. And it will I be. Hope, I well, think you're right. If, if the, if the bloc uh, does their job properly, I hope the next election we can, we can displace Trudeau out of Montreal. We will see what happens. I'm sure the Liberal Brain Trust is very happy, as I said a little earlier, to have Mark Carney in the wings because he really is the star they want. The reason Justin Trudeau became the leader of the Liberal Party is they had nobody else. They had a caucus of 34. 34. And they needed somebody, and here was the Trudeau name. Rob in Toronto. Rob, how do you think it's going to turn out? I think you're right, Roy. I think it's you're probably looking at another uh, minority for Trudeau uh, by default uh, because uh, Aaron O'Toole, to me, hasn't has, has been unimpressive. I'm a member of the uh, Conservative Party. And uh, I've uh, never lost faith in a leader so fast as I did with uh, Aaron, Aaron O'Toole within the first six months when he expelled Derek Sloan from the party. That was totally a, a very foolish mistake, and it was totally What did you think of Mr. O'Toole's um, declaration about climate, climate and carbon, carbon tax? Um. Yeah, that, 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 that's, that, that's another reason, I think, why uh, probably a lot of the conservative base are, aren't, uh, uh, aren't impressed with him. Um, yeah, he, no, he, he doesn't uh, seem to me a, a, true, a true conservative the way that uh, former Premier Mike Harris was or uh, Ralph Klein in Alberta. Um, but uh, when, when, he, when he expelled Derek Sloan from the party, I think he angered a lot of the social conservatives. We will see. Party. We will see what the, uh, what the upshot of that is. In, uh, in due course, I do want to say this about Mr. O'Toole. When he was a Veterans Affairs Minister, I've spoken to veterans groups in this country, individuals who worked with veterans groups and veterans groups, and they said that they liked working with uh, Aaron O'Toole when he was Veterans Affairs Minister because they could work with him. He did listen, and he did follow 
um, many times what they suggested. Jim's in Surrey, British Columbia. Jim, uh, British Columbia is going to be massively important in the next federal election. How do you think it's going to turn out? Hi, Roy. Just a beautiful day here in B.C. Hope yours is the same. I think that we're going to unfortunately wind up with a Trudeau minority, which means any vote for the NDP only supports a majority as far as that goes, because the NDP backed the Liberals, so did the Bloc, so therefore we have another majority government by default. But the thing about that is the Liberals will not stand for another election where they don't get a majority, and Trudeau will be gone shortly after because he will be considered non-electable Oh, no question. No question. No question, Jim. If uh, if they come back with a minority government, it's over for Justin Trudeau. And Mark it's Carney will be, will be the leader of the Liberal Party of Canada. 100% correct. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your call. In beautiful British Columbia, the good news is, as far as the wildfires are concerned, a few of them are under more control now. We understand. Spoke yesterday with... Uh, Mayor Christian from Kamloops. It was amazing, his description of, uh, of what was going on. You can listen to uh, the interview at RoyGreenShow.com. Dave in Toronto. Dave, what do you say? Hi, Roy. Like I always say, I love your show. Thank you. Um, I, I think it's going to be Trudeau again. I don't like Trudeau. I've never voted for him. But I think he'll win again with a majority. And the reason I, the reason I think that is, I think perception of Jagmeet Singh is he's a bit of an extremist. And uh, the Conservatives... The Conservatives hardly ever win in Canada. If you look at Canadian history, it's almost always Liberal governments. But when they have won, what they've done is they've had an ambassador within Quebec. For Mulroney, it was Bouchard. For Stephen Harper, it was Maxime Bernier. They had they had a connection to Quebec, which helped them siphon away that. Oh, yeah. The parties, parties always give, give a nod to Quebec. And remember that Mulroney was from Quebec. Absolutely. Mulroney was I, a Quebec labor lawyer. That's right. Yeah. And I have nothing against O'Toole. Seems like a nice guy. He does nothing seem like a nice Bernier. guy. Seems like a nice guy. But they're going to divide the votes, and it looks like it's okay. Trudeau for another 20 years. Well, no, no. We'll see about that. John is in Winnipeg. John, I literally have 15 seconds. They're yours. Sure. Thank you. Uh, a shiver went up my spine when you mentioned the word Mark Carney being a, a, any potential leader of our country. I think we're going to see potentially a, a conservative minority. I think that, uh, you know, Harper wasn't... Uh, you know, well outspoken and was kind of a dud at the start too. But uh, he ended up getting uh, you know in power, so I think that we could be a conservative minority. Thank you. Okay, appreciate the call. Thank you, John in uh, Manitoba. Remember that Mr. Harper did follow the uh, the uh, Quebec sponsorship scandal. It's perfect timing. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. The U.S.-Canada border issue is particularly interesting because it really does affect our economy. And yesterday saw the unveiling of what's called the Post-Promise, a national effort by Canada's business community and governments to help raise and restore consumer confidence. Goldie Hyder is the president and CEO of the Business Council of Canada. Mr. Hyder joins us on this program regularly, and we really appreciate it. Goldie, thank you so much for the time. Good to be with you, Roy. I've been watching your tweets. I hope they warmed up the studio for you. Oh, you have no idea how cold it is here. <laughs> this is, I'm getting a dress rehearsal for winter. Well, step outside. It's a gorgeous day, at least here in Toronto. I will be doing that very soon. Goldie, as far as the, uh, let's just talk about the border issue first, as mm. far as the economic uh, realities and the profitability to our economy for having the border open in both directions. What what do we need? How important is it to get that U.S.-Canada side opened up? Well, it's critically important, and that's why I think we, you, you were right in recognizing that the Prime Minister you know, did respond to a lot of pressure from a lot of folks, including us, to say, look, we can manage the opening up of the, our side of the border safely for those who are fully vaccinated. Uh, they responded to our, our request not to make testing you know, excessive. I mean, I think it's important to have random testing, but not necessarily everybody being tested. They listen to that. We have the pre-testing, which we all agree with. Uh, we're trying to get better consistency on the proof of vaccination and or the proof of immunity, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so I, I think there's work to be done in that area. But I have to say we're extremely disappointed uh, for the reasons you cited and the clips that you played. The Americans were pushing us on this issue just as much as, as we were on our side. And now, you know, they've kind of um, walked away from their part of the bargain, if you will. And my understanding is, is the rationale in, 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 in Washington is, you know, they want to be able to treat you know, the Mexican border uh, with the same level that they're going to treat the Canadian border. And I say this with the greatest of, of, of respect, but all borders are not created equal. Uh, Canadian vaccination rates are number one in the world. Uh, you know, we have a different relationship with the United States. We've done different things historically with the United States. And I think we should be pushing forward to open up our border, irrespective of whatever challenges they may be facing on the southern border, if that is, in fact, their reason. How strong a voice do we have in Washington? Well, I'd like to think we need to be stronger. I'll be very candid with, with you, Roy, as I always am. I feel that uh, to some extent, um, you know, governments perhaps uh, around the world, but certainly in Canada, were, were delighted at the outcome of the election and may have, um, you know, assumed that all things are, are going to be mutual to our mutual benefit. The reality is America looks after America's interests uh, as much as any other country does their own, and we've got to be much more aggressive and assertive uh, in making the cases that we need to make on the border, on the importance of the economic um, you know, um, interdependencies that we have, these are supply chains. Uh, we have seen things like Buy America continue to be a big challenge uh, in legislation in the United States. You know what happened on Keystone. We're seeing what's going on on Line 5. You know, Canada has to stand up for Canada as much as America stands up for America. So I'd like to see, uh, you know, more aggressive uh, approach to how we manage this and, and not uh, relying on them to do us any favors, because I don't think they will. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, talk, please, uh, about this, uh, the post-promise, what it's about and what it's intended mm-hmm. to do. Well, it's interesting. We actually started this. A couple of folks came to us and said, we've got this idea that the, at some point we're going to need some kind of a, of a universal, and at least in Canada, logo that identifies the businesses that are practicing safety. You know, uh, whether it's like a good housekeeping logo or a Leeds construction logo or whatever the logo is, Canadians can identify with something and say, aha, I know that this place is doing the following things. 
turned out to be an idea ahead of its time, but good news, we kept it going. And just this week, as you announced, the uh, federal government, uh, who's been a partner, uh, and, and we've been endorsed by provincial governments as well as uh, municipalities all across this country who are saying this is exactly the kind of initiative that uh, brings people together that says we've got to start supporting our small medium enterprises again we've got to get people feeling comfortable and confident to be able to move around in our country whether that's through public transport or uber or whatever the case might be and we've got to make sure that businesses can say to their customers uh, you know we're not all the same some of us are going above and beyond to make sure that you are safe in my premises because any business pre-pandemic or otherwise Safety of their employees, safety of their customers is always paramount, right? Because there's probably no faster way to get out of business than to tell people you don't care about how they're doing. Businesses who sign up for the Post Promise, and I encourage any of your listeners to join up, join up at www.postpromise.com, and, and so in French as well, at Bray Promise. This is a great opportunity to just show Canadians that, look, it's okay to get out, it's okay to intermix, and we're doing everything we can to keep you safe. And all these businesses take a pledge as to what they're doing to keep you safe, and all that information is on that website. And Canadians are ready, Goldie. They're more than ready. I think we're, we're chomping at the bits. Uh, I know in my life, and ever since we've been fully vaccinated in the family, you know, yes, we started the barbecue circuit, been to a wedding yesterday, and yeah, we're following the local public health guidelines as required, but... It's great to be about. We're human beings. We need to interact, and you're absolutely right. And I think we've got to use this moment in the summer to prepare for the fall, like including getting you know kids ready for school again because they've suffered so much being out of school. We can't have any more lockdowns going forward, so let's make sure that we're communicating to Canadians that, look, get vaccinated. Do everything you can to get fully vaccinated. No reason you shouldn't, uh, obviously excluding health considerations, um, get kids ready to go back to school, get people back to work so that our businesses can start that cycle again, right? Because if big businesses don't come back, you know, by the way, if the public servants across this country don't come back to work, that's going to have a rip- ripple effect on those small businesses and their buildings and stuff. So if we're truly all in this together, Roy, it's time to prove it and uh, let's get back at it and do so safely because we can in Canada. How would you describe the health of big business in Canada today? Well, look, I think uh, for the most part, um, with the exception of those that were severely distressed, you know, like the airline industry, hospitality industry, you know, retail, tourism, those we all know well documented as to how much they've suffered is the reason that we were making the case for the border and the restart that we are. The others, I think, have fared fairly well. We've seen unemployment come down uh, quite a bit. We're about 1.5, 1.6, I think, away from where we were from a percentage basis from where we were um, at the unemployment rate back in March. I think we're ready to, to to bring people back to work um, and, and, and do so safely. And we need to work with our governments to make sure that, that there's clarity on, on, on the public health aspect of all of this and continue with our testing, tracking, and tracing because you know what, Roy, unfortunately, it's becoming endemic. This thing's going to stick around, and so we've got to do everything we can to, to beat it back uh, anytime it pops its ugly head up. But I don't think we should be seeing any more shutdowns or lockdowns, and certainly businesses um, in a smaller and medium category can't can't have that and you know our friend Dan Kelly comes on your show and tells you that regularly. So the cost of food in this country continues to rise. You have no trouble getting that information from people who go food shopping. It's usually volunteered. And I understand it's not likely to change for the better for a while. There's also in the United Kingdom some concern about government ministers saying that the security of the food supply lines are uh, not is not uh, guaranteed as store shelves in some areas are bare or almost bare and it's the result of something called the ping demic 
Now, I had a conversation about the cost of food a few days ago, and it, I was told that the cost of basic food has risen sufficiently sharply that it's changed the life for the family of the person I was speaking with, sufficiently so. They're considering whether they can afford a vacation before the end of the next month. Professor Sylvain Charlebois joins us. He's a professor of food distribution and food at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. His research is food supply chain management. And in April, the professor predicted a $700 increase in food cost for the average Canadian family this year. Professor Charlebois, thank you for coming back on the program. Does that $700 figure still hold? Uh, Unfortunately, yes. Um, Actually, our prediction, our forecast was actually published in December uh, with Canada's food price report. So every year with the University of Guelph, the University of Saskatchewan, and the University of British Columbia, we actually released Canada's food price report. It was our 11th edition. And for 2021, we were expecting the highest increase uh, in 11 years, so almost $700 uh, per family. And uh, now we're into July, almost in August, and we're very, very comfortable with our forecast. Unfortunately, we were expecting prices to go higher particularly uh, at the meat counter uh, with bakery products uh, and, uh, and vegetables as well. And, and the two major factors affecting all of this, obviously there's COVID. Uh, COVID is basically making everything more expensive across the supply chain from both ends of the food continuum. And the other factor, of course, is climate change uh, with droughts, uh, I mean, there's a lot of reports out there suggesting that uh, Mother Nature is not necessarily cooperating with farmers in some areas, uh, which is really pushing uh, commodity prices higher these days. Uh, if you're a farmer and you have something to sell, you make good money. But the problem is that a lot of farmers won't have anything to sell, which is why, well, prices are going up. Yeah, so when you, when you talk about climate, and we, I've, I've read and, and seen reports of what's going on in Western Canada, and it's not a good thing with the drought, uh, is, there, uh, is there a silver lining in, the, in this somewhere, or are we just looking at a different paradigm? Well, I mean, droughts aren't uh, new out west. Uh, I mean, you talk to any farmers, they are fully aware of, of climate change and, and, and drought spells and things like that, and, and actually some, some farmers actually deal with floods. On the other side of the spectrum, um, what's really unusual this year is is the intensity of the heat. I mean, you're you're seeing uh, areas in Canada with uh, with 50 degree weather. I mean, this is something we've never seen before, and it's getting hotter. And uh, what's going on out in fields is that some uh, some grains are actually just burning essentially. So. The quality, if you have, if you can harvest anything, quality could be compromised. So, I mean, the silver lining is basically this. And not all farmers will be affected by what's going on, and they'll make actually good money. But unfortunately, a lot of farmers won't uh, make good money. The, uh, the reality, though, is that we are dealing with global markets. If, uh, if we can't grow our own grains uh, or Canada can grow grains itself. You can always uh, rely on other markets to uh, to offer some supply. So there's there's that going on as well. We need to keep in mind that it's not a catastrophe. It's just 
Now it's a little bit more difficult this year. Okay. Now you wrote in a in a uh, column in the Toronto Star in April. Once grains are affected, and you just mentioned grains, once grains are affected, livestock sectors producing well-loved products like chicken, pork, and beef will likely be affected as well. Grains are grains core to, uh, well, pretty much everything. Uh. Actually, yes, pretty much. I mean, I mean I, at the start. As, as uh, I was asking the question, I thought, yeah, it is pretty much everything. I expect that your question is the rhetorical, but uh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> people think of, of the West as, a, as, a, as an economy to supply grains to the rest of the world. But guess what? In a lot of products we buy that has been manufactured, there's some Canada in it, even though the, the product was actually imported from somewhere else. And so these processors are paying more for the inputs. The other issue, of course, is meat. You need to feed livestock. And what's unusual, again, this year, which is something we, have, we haven't seen before, is the fact that chicken uh, is up 8% since January, not year to year, January, seven months ago. Uh, and that's really bizarre because chicken, typically you expect like a 2-3% a year with chicken. Now we're up to 8 And chicken is like, is like the tide. If it, within the trifecta of meat, you got pork, beef, and chicken uh, at the meat counter. If chicken goes up, everything else goes up. So uh, your listeners must have noticed that beef is more expensive and pork is more expensive as well, on average, about 5%. That's really what is unusual about 2021 so far. Yeah. I bought uh, six steaks the other day, and I didn't go, uh, you know, didn't go wild. I didn't go to the butcher shop and order special cuts. So I got what was packaged, and they looked nice. But six steaks, 85 bucks. Yes, absolutely. And uh, it's not unusual to see that. So, so consumers... Uh, who are uh, uh, who have a tight budget will be a little bit more careful at the meat counter. You can still, you know, get some good deals at the meat counter. For example, you may actually, you know, get some deals, uh, unadvertised deals, by the way, at the meat counter uh, at 25% off, 30% off, even 50% off. If you really look closely, uh, they'll encourage you to eat that steak that night. I encourage your listeners to do that more and more. And those and those steaks, those products are are, are still very good. Um, the other thing that we're seeing right now is that a lot of consumers are starting to uh, trade uh, between animal proteins and vegetable proteins. Vegetable proteins tend to be uh, like lentils and chickpeas, for example. They tend to be uh, actually lower uh, in price. Um, fish and seafood is actually getting more popular because it is expensive, but People are basically saying, well, if I have to pay uh, so much for beef, for example, why not try fish now? So there's a lot of that going on, too. Yeah. What's the basic advice, then, to the, uh, to the food shopper who is trying to plan for the rest of the year? Visit more than one place. That's the first thing I would say. Because uh, there's, like I said, a lot of, what I've noticed compared to past years is that, is that there are way more unadvertised deals out there. If you actually go into a grocery store, you'll actually find good deals unadvertised at times. So if you visit more than one place, you increase your chances of actually access to deals. The other 
thing I would advise your listeners to do is to visit the freezer aisle a little bit more often. Quality is not there as much. I, I agree. But nutritionally, it's the same. And the quality has gone up. Prices are not as volatile in the freezer aisle. So keep that in mind when you go into a grocery store. Okay, one final question for you. What's going on in England with the pandemic, with the government ministers expressing concern about the, uh, about the supply chain for food? Yeah, well, it's, first of all, England is an island, so <laughs> their logistical reality is a bit different than ours. Uh, secondly, I mean, I mean, island countries tend to be a, a, a little more concerned about supply chains. Japan is the same thing. Australia is the same. Uh, and, and these countries tend to uh, view food security very differently. We're pretty lucky in Canada. We have access to uh, safe uh, products, safe food products. Uh, our, our, our supply chains are reliable. We saw that last year. With the panic buying, there was still food a few days later. I mean, it's, it, we have an unbelievable food industry. And keep in mind, Roy, that relative to income, Canadians still have access to one of the cheapest food baskets in the world. Even though prices are going up 5%, I agree, it's a bit rough for people. But still, still today, 21, Canadians have access to affordable food compared to other countries. This phenomenon happening right now is affecting everyone in the Western world, not just Canada. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.